Welcome to MuggleCast, your weekly ride into the Wizarding World fandom. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. And on this week's episode, we are going to try to answer the question, can there ever be another Harry Potter? And what will it take for something to reach the next Harry Potter level? And why has Harry Potter been so hot for so long? This is going to be a wide-ranging discussion inspired by a recent conversation that the four of us had on Patreon a couple weeks ago. Before we get to that, though, a couple of housekeeping items. First of all, don't forget to follow us on our brand new TikTok. We spoke about it last week, and also last week we said, follow us at MuggleCastPod. That was our username. Well, today, the day that we're recording... Eric got in possession of the actual MuggleCast TikTok. One of our listeners, Eric, right? Yeah, Kamira. Has actually, actually had she it. did us a real solid because when setting up MuggleNet's TikTok, MuggleNet ran into the issue where some guy named Matt has the account, doesn't use it. It's not, they can't get it back. So MuggleNet on TikTok is MuggleNet.com and has been ever since they've had it. Well, Kamira was thinking of us. And she's like, I better reserve MuggleCast. I know they don't use it. They don't have any interest to do TikToks. That's what they told me anyway. <laughs> so she held on to it. And then she just heard that we were looking for it and looking to use it, got in touch with me and said, I need to remember what the password is, but I'll switch it over. And I said, wait, 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 let me have access to it exclusively for a day so I can make these fun videos about a guy getting kicked off the MuggleCast channel. And then I did that. But yes, by the time this episode airs, uh, MuggleCast will be on TikTok at MuggleCast. So. Yeah. And important note, if you already followed us at MuggleCast Pod, you won't need to re-follow us because we're just going to change the MuggleCast Pod username over to MuggleCast. But if you haven't followed us on TikTok yet, you can follow us now at MuggleCast. It's nice to have it back. It feels like a birthright, you know. In the future, guys, anytime we see a future, uh, a social, a new social media network pop up, we just got to grab MuggleCast. Whether or not we're going to use it, you know, Are we on Hinge. <laughs> I was going to say, do we need an OnlyFans? <laughs> <laughs> we'll grab it just for the hell of it. Why not? <laughs> Can't hurt, right? Yeah, yeah. Thanks again to Kim for looking out um, and all the work she does for MuggleNet's TikTok and social. Yeah, thank absolutely. You. I am going to sign up for a MuggleCast OnlyFans. I'm not <laughs> kidding. <laughs> you should do it. Absolutely. I think we would really have fun deciding what gets posted on there. This sounds like a good dirty bonus MuggleCast installment for our Patreon. Well, we would Brainstorming on... for the MuggleCast only fans. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> our wands. Okay, let's move on. Wait, uh, wait. You got... The new MuggleCast socks, but just the socks <laughs> on our feed. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so. So Micah and Eric, you two appeared on another Harry Potter podcast actually recently, right? Yes, we did. We, as you can, well, hopefully some people can see from my background, it was the Fantastic Beast podcast, Speak Beastie. It was a lot of fun. And Andrew, as I was telling you earlier, I actually learned a lot more about the trailer and what was happening than I think uh, even from our discussion episode. So it helps to have those Fantastic Beast experts for sure. And it was great to conversation. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I'd, I'd recommend everybody check out that episode of Speak Beastie. I think it's 144 and it's coming out at the time you hear this episode, it'll be out next Sunday. It was really cool because we looked at it from the perspective of who paired up with who in the trailer. And there were a number of pairings and we 
went through and talked about each of them. Also some conversation about some, uh, you know, new characters that popped up in the trailer and the uh, gathering of the International Confederation of Wizards, which was not something that, uh, like I said, I took away from that trailer the first time around. And there's those little things. What were those on the ground yes. that I missed? The deer calls. So oh. those are the little birds that teleport in and out of existence um, that we saw in the first Fantastic Beasts film. And they're back, baby. I didn't see them in the trailer the first time either. But I'm so excited because I am the admin of the Facebook group. And I have been for years. I didn't number know this. One, Did you guys deer know call fan club. It's the number one deer call fan club, and I'm so excited <laughs> to see them in the trailer. You would not even notice them. They are literally on the street. When is it? Theseus and Eulalie Hicks are in Bhutan. In the middle of battle. There's like these little birds on the street. So I came up with this theory. We'll see if it holds true. That I think when all of these different pairings go out on their mission through that Tibetan wheel that we see that's used as a porky, I think they're each given a set of beasts to help them with their journey. Interesting. Okay. Nice I like theorizing. That. It'll probably be totally wrong, but. You know. <laughs> All right. Well, everybody will have to check out that episode of Speak Beastie. And now it's time to jump into our main discussion today. Can there ever be another Harry Potter? So ever since Harry Potter exploded in popularity, there's been a lot of talk about whether or not there could be another book series that is as popular as Harry Potter, and that would make kids or young adults enjoy reading again, like Harry Potter was credited as doing. And, you know, something that would create a dedicated fandom like Harry Potter did. And do you three remember, we would always see these headlines about, is X, Y, or Z the next Harry Potter? Hell and like yeah. even publishers would be like, Harry Potter meets Twilight in this thrilling adventure. Like there's all these comparisons. It got exhausting, didn't it? Definitely. In part because nothing lived up to Harry Potter. So I thought to start this discussion, let's establish why Harry Potter became so huge and has had a lasting legacy. So first of all, a powerful and detailed story. Right, Eric? Yeah, it's got the goods, which definitely helps when I think everything you'd want in a story from a level of detail that sort of fits your comfort zone, the fact that you can read just to read and figure out what happens, enjoy the dialogue, or read to find what the deep secrets are going to be. No matter what your entry like level range is, there's something for everybody in Harry Potter. And I think that was incredibly important in getting just such a wide range of ages too. reading these books. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I also think, you know, from the very jump of the story, there's such a strong hook to pull you in. I mean, that opening sentence of Mr. and Mrs. Dursley of number four, Privet Drive, considered themselves to be perfectly normal. Thank you very much. I remember reading that as a child for the first time and being automatically hooked because I was like, these people sound like jerks. I want to know <laughs> what it is about themselves that they think makes them such perfect human specimens. And then from there, you get into the strong characterization that exists in these books. I think particularly in the first three books, it's very clear that those stories were mapped out. There's a reference to Sirius Black in chapter one of the first book. Um, it's just so clear that there were so many details and so many 
breadcrumbs left to pull those stories together. Um, And that goes into a strong sense of place, too. I mean, there's a reason why everyone wants to go to Hogwarts. There's a reason why we all dreamed of getting our Hogwarts acceptance letter, because we can see the place. I mean, some of the detail that is provided of all of these locations that Harry's going to in London when he first goes to Diagon Alley. It's this majestic, magical world that is somehow still grounded in a reality that we can recognize. And that makes it relatable, but also something that you kind of want to aspire to. Um, So that, for me, those were the factors that pulled me into the books early on. And they were the factors that kept me coming back, honestly. Yeah, it's it's also, and I think we'll talk a little bit about this when we're talking about it with relation to Star Wars, but it's multi-generational. And I think the fact that you were able to really transcend so many different people from so many different backgrounds, no matter your age, it seemed like there was no limit to who could enjoy the Harry Potter series. And I think very rarely, like we think of it from the standpoint of having grown up with the books, but there were plenty of grown-ups who read the books as well. And I don't think that you often see that with a book series to have that mass popularity. The fact that, you know, pretty much anybody that you go and speak to, there's a ch- pretty good chance that they've read the Harry Potter series. Maybe they go all the way through, but they've read at least a few of the books. Yeah, because it's so accessible for everybody. I think people our age or older can really dive into the various mysteries that we see across the series and just think about the larger themes and really take deep dives into the characters. But if you're a younger reader, you can just look at the overarching plot and not really get too deeply involved. You're more entertained by the magic. And like Laura was saying, this vivid school and the creatures and then of course the the dialogue is mostly easy for readers of all ages to understand so yeah the books are just widely accessible in different ways like you know no matter what age you are you're getting some something different out of it yeah yeah i mean i i remember going back through order of the phoenix and half-blood prince recently when we finished all of the chapter by chapters and now that we're adults we're looking at it from a completely different perspective and going oh my like harry is a victim of child abuse and yeah, as exactly. a kid, we're like as a kid, we're like, oh, those darned aunt and uncle. But as an adult, you get so much more out of it. Like adults were reading these books then and probably thought the same thing. Like this is not a way to treat a child. Right. And so it's really just in terms of getting everything out of it. You know, it's 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 one series that you can keep coming back to. It's got staying power and it's got revisit power. And those those are also unique qualities, I think, um, when we're talking about what would be the next. Right. It's also a coming of age story, right? Everybody loves a good coming of age story because we can all relate to it, whether you're going through that while you're reading the books or whether you're an adult and you remember what it was like to be in those adolescent years. Yeah. And the gradual loss of innocence mm-hmm. um, as Harry loses his. And, and, and to that point, too, the we touched on the mystery but it really helped that each book had its own like mini mystery or series of mysteries. And then there were the overarching mysteries, just layered writing right? Um, to keep coming back to. But it really, 
matters. Like in his kids, yeah, we're just like interested in seeing who put Harry's name in the cup or, you know, how did Sirius Black really escape Azkaban? These are interesting questions, but the overall mystery of how Harry was even able to survive is like that series long that keeps you wanting to read more and more to get that mystery out of it as well. Yeah. And then the next thing I would credit is um, the foreshadowing and the ring theory that we bring up so much in Easter eggs. And I think you'll see this in some series, but there's so much of it going on across the Harry Potter series. And that's one reason why I think the fandom was reason was able to explode like it did. Um, just looking at this podcast as an example, we're obviously able to catch things while analyzing and we find them and then we we report on them here on the podcast. There's just so much for you to keep an eye out for. That is just a fascinating read in that way. And then when you do catch these things, you want to tell other people about it because you're so impressed. Yeah, like rereading the first Harry Potter book and seeing Sirius Black's name after you've already read the third book and go, whoa, yeah, <laughs> that's, um, that, that still throws me Yeah, when I see that happen. I was like, actually going to say about that right around the time that the Prisoner of Azkaban movie was coming out, my dad picked up the first book to read it. And after he read the first chapter, he'd seen the trailers for Prisoner of Azkaban. And he came to me and was like, wait a second. What, what is the connection to Sirius Black? And he was excited by it because he picked up on that hook. And I was like, you're just going to have to read to find out, Dad. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> nice. See, and what you're calling attention to is something that Danielle said in the Discord is that it also allowed for parents who are reading the books to connect with their children. And 100%. that's not, again, something that you always see in other th- series. Now, you know, I'll go extreme and say A Song of Ice and Fire, you know, is dad and maybe dad and son at some time, <laughs> time bond over that. But dad and daughter, I mean, there's a lot of weird things going on in that series. I can't so. actually imagine parents reading their kids to that. Maybe they did, but I can't imagine. No, but actually, it. along that line, uh, Pixar movies. They're appealing to every generation because there are jokes and themes for adults, but all that stuff is also entertaining for the kids. I mean, I think about like early Pixar movies. There's stuff when we were watching these when we were kids, the the jokes for adults went right over your head. A lot of like cartoons will do this too. I think like SpongeBob might. Yeah, yeah. That's one reason Pixar has been so successful. It's because adults want to see these Pixar movies too, because they do have really deep messages going on underneath the surface. It is kind of about those like little rewards, like Easter eggs, Mm. like little piece of candy that you find when you're reading. Like if you're paying enough attention, you get rewarded. And that's a huge, like I know that, when we're reading something for entertainment, we like to feel smart. We like to be rewarded for paying attention because it's taxing. So it's just nice. like just like Pixar movies, and Easter eggs everywhere. The the Pizza Planet truck in every Pixar movie. Everybody yep. has a story, though, too. That's the thing around this series is that no one person's story is the same in terms of how they picked up the first book or who they connected with as a result of it. And I'm just seeing all the comments flying in the Discord about how our listeners got into Harry Potter. And I just think that that is one thing in and of itself that makes this such a unique series. 
It's kind of interesting because whenever I'm uh, watching like old videos on the Harry Potter fandom and like how it came to be like news article reporting kind of editorialists, um, you know, it really talks about reading going out of fashion in the late 90s. People really thought video games were going to kill books. And they I think they nearly did. And movies, too. But then something like Harry Potter comes along. And like, even though they were adapting them to movies, it was taking longer. And there were these five or six books, at least, that you could just pour through and get through without having a movie companion for it. And I think that really brought reading back. It, it For me, I was not a reader until Harry Potter. And I still mostly have just read Harry Potter, but I've read other things. But <laughs> Really, the uh, if I'm being honest here, I just I'm be with you. I'm I'm the same. Yeah, I try to but, read, but yeah, I enjoy the hell out of reading when mm-hmm. I'm reading something that I enjoy. Which, right, you know, it's yeah, it's amazing. You so don't stop thinking the, about it. You want to return right. as soon as you can. I looked up the stats, and over 825 million books, print books, sold last year. So books are still going. You know, that's great. I was worried. But I think that, (laughs) but if we're talking about something like Harry Potter and what's going to be the next one, like we have to look at print as an art form and whether or not, you know, and do audiobooks count, but like what's really going to get people to go to a store to buy something and then sit with it Mm -hmm. and just look at it for hours. Andrew, I know you're going to agree with me on this one. There is something very distinct about the smell of the Harry Potter books. Yes. Well, really, any book. Yeah, just holding yeah. a physical book. Um, they all have different smells. But yeah, the Harry Potter books have a distinct smell. Probably just reminds us of our uh, younger selves. Yeah, mm. I also have to say, and this is coming from a very American perspective, I understand, but uh, Mary Grand Prix's cover art, that was also a big part of what drew me into these books. I rem- So I'm telling on myself right now, I got the first three books for my 11th birthday and I knew that I was getting them before my birthday because as a child, I was a terrible snooper. Um, so around the holidays and stuff, I would always snoop to see what I was getting for for presents and things like that. And I saw the three books in a bag in my parents' closet. And when I pulled them out to look at them, I was instantly excited just based on the cover art. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's gorgeous art. So I was just going to. Oh, sorry. No, I was just going to use this as an opportunity. Uh, Laura mentioned Mary Grand Prix to plug our episode 172 when we spoke with Mary Grand Prix. Now, that was all the way back in 2009. So just, you know, a couple of years ago. (laughs) But uh, it was a really, really great interview. We talked to her about what her favorite book was in the series she broke down that curtain comparison from Sorcerer's Stone to Deathly Hallows, how much communication she had with the author and even some of the international illustrators. So it's a really good episode. Folks should go and check it out. Cool. So from all of this came many, many readers who, um, let me try that again. So from all of this came many, many readers and it was a feverish, it is a feverish fan base. And I'm going to be bringing this up a lot during the discussion today because I think this is what sets Harry Potter apart from other very popular book and film franchises. Yes, there have been some very successful book series. Some of them you might be able to sort of compare to Harry Potter, but only Harry Potter and only Star Wars 
and some others have had a feverish fan base. And then you combine that with the fact that Harry Potter is sticking around. It isn't going anywhere. It's here for the rest of our lives, I'm willing to bet. And this feverish fan base would gleefully analyze every page because of the things that we were discussing. And of course, they went online to share theories. And that leads me to a point, Micah, you added. So I think that the internet played a huge role in the rise of the success of the Harry Potter series, particularly because you had the instant ability and instant may not be the, you know, like dial up came first. I mean, that took about 45 seconds. Yeah. And nobody calling your house to knock you off. But yeah, the instant ability for fans to connect, theorize in terms of what was going to happen on in the next book and discuss the Potter series overall. And we can't not mention fan sites. It would be impossible to have this conversation without mentioning MuggleNet, Leaky, Veretta Serum, all of the big ones. And it gave people a home. I mean, those sites were so comprehensive. The things that people came up with were just unbelievable. And that's how I got into really the analysis side of the Potter series was the editorial section on MuggleNet. I know we've talked about that on some of the other episodes that we've done, but yeah, just it was just perfect timing because the internet was taking off in a way that really just lent itself to allow this type of conversation to happen. Yeah, definitely. Agreed. Hold on. I'm going back to 1996 and I'm going to go get online. Oh my God. <laughs> You should have put a trigger warning before this, Andrew. We need a. Uh, oh man! I feel attacked. Um, Mom, don't make a call. I'm getting online. I gotta go check out the latest theories about Order of the Phoenix. We need a segment that utilizes the dial-up modem sound. Hold on, I'm still I'm, going. I'm still connecting to the web. I miss that. I miss that so much. Welcome. You've got mail. Yeah. Yeah. I wish that had that at the end of it. This was an uh, AOL sign on. Oh, well. Yeah. And Man. really to drive it home, you know, when we think about the fan sites and when we think about the fan community, I think a lot of us think about the heyday of fan sites for Harry Potter, particularly between, you know, 2005 to 2010. But there was an era before that. I remember... We had just moved to Georgia in the summer. I had no friends because I had finished out school in Texas. I wasn't going to meet anyone my age until I went back to school in the fall. And that was the summer Goblet of Fire came out. And I was so hungry for more Harry Potter. I read Goblet of Fire in three days. Um, My mom was like, yeah, like that book's like 700 pages long. It'll keep her busy this summer. And it was like, nope, completely just... Uh, inhaled that book, basically. And I went online and started looking for people to talk about Harry Potter with. And I found chat rooms through AIM. Remember, you could search for various different interests for AIM chat rooms, and you would be in a chat with perhaps hundreds of strangers, but they were all talking about Harry Potter, mostly. Um, And there were a lot of smaller fan sites that were getting started at that time. I know, Andrew, you had one around that time as well. HarryPottersHouse.com. Yeah. And it was, for me, the beginning of those 
that feverish desire to keep consuming Harry Potter content because I wanted more. And we had no idea when the next book was coming out. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, I was also just thinking all the fan sites and the podcasts, even still today, are so genuine. Yes. Like, it's just true fans wanting to talk with fellow fans. These days, let's say a new Fantastic Beast movie comes out or Star Wars or whatever else. BuzzFeed will cover it, too, and Entertainment Weekly. But they're being paid to write this content, and they might not be true fans. With the fan sites, with the podcast, we're doing it because we're true fans who just want to talk about it with fellow fans and meet people, too. It's all so genuine. It's wonderful. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm now loading up my website on the Wayback Machine. I should really, <laughs> HarryPottersHouse.com. I really need to print this out and frame it. Like you should, yeah, you should, should sign it. <laughs> one, sign it. One thing I think. Yeah, why not? Put that, that on the OnlyFans. Yeah, just you <laughs> holding the. Uh, never mind. One thing that I thought was worth mentioning too with these fan sites is that you think about the number, uh, or not even the fan sites, but the series, the number of authors artists, coders, programmers, podcasters. You could probably sit here and list so many different creators that came out of their experience with the Harry Potter series. Because it was so ubiquitous and it was everywhere at all times, you've really found ways in which to channel your creative energy. If you were a creator, you could create things for the fandom of Harry Potter. If you were a singer-songwriter, you could do wizard rock. If you were an artist, you could do fan art. You know, you found a community that had to do with Harry Potter, but that also was in your lane. And that's why we got so much awesome creative stuff is creative people were reading it and they were being inspired by it, which again goes back to the story being so inviting and multifaceted. Mm-hmm. And, and isn't it wonderful how so many of these talented people, like that was their start in the creative world. And so many of them have achieved their oh, own yeah. level of greatness. Like that is mind blowing and makes me so happy. Like sometimes I see some of our listeners, for example, maybe it's not a creative career, but now they're in something. It's not always a creative career. I'm trying to say now they're in some huge, you know, a business or they they made a name for themselves and i think a lot of those people would credit harry potter for starting them off yeah darren chris right darren chris that's who i was thinking of i think also a big part of this and we'll probably have to find the study and link to it in our show notes but remember the study that came out several years ago showing that there was a high correlation between people who grew up reading Harry Potter and people who are highly empathetic. Mm -hmm. And empathy is, it's one of those things that gets, gets called a soft skill, but you can't teach empathy. It's, it's kind of like a, it's like a secret sauce, right? And not everyone has it, but it seems like it seems to be highly prevalent amongst people who read Harry Potter. And I think that, it provides people a lot of success in ways that maybe mm. empathy does not get credited for, right? It's not not a hard skill like you're a chemist or like you learn to code. But the point is you can learn to do those things. Yeah. Empathy is a different beast. Yeah. Especially if you look at the fan community, the diversity of it. Speaking of launching creative careers, Cassandra Clare, who wrote... The Immortal Instruments, she got her start 
by writing Harry Potter fan fiction. Veronica Roth, the author of Divergent, was a MuggleCast listener. Wow. A MuggleCast listener. Huge Harry Potter fan, clearly. Or maybe just a fan of us. No, clearly a very big Harry Potter fan. You so, interviewed Stephanie Meyer. You got her her start here on MuggleCast. Ivana <laughs> no. would be another example as well. Oh, yeah. So in a moment, we're going to look at Twilight, The Hunger Games, Divergent, and some others. Because with uh, all due respect to Veronica Roth and uh, Stephanie Meyer <laughs> and Suzanne Collins, those series had feverish fandoms, but then they burned out pretty quick once the movies were released. Or in the case of a Divergent, they didn't even get to finish the film series uh, because things went downhill really quick. But we'll get to that in a moment. Okay, so one reason I wanted to have this discussion is because after Harry Potter and towards the end of Harry Potter, there were a couple quote-unquote next Harry Potters. The first one was Twilight. And Laura and I actually got pretty involved in the Twilight fandom. We started a fan site called Twilight Source. We started a Twilight podcast called Imprint. And I do have to say, it was so refreshing to do a fan site and podcast that wasn't about Harry Potter. It really was. Something new. Thank goodness. But Laura, Twilight... For anybody who doesn't know, it's a vampire romance series. And actually, it's had a resurgence recently, maybe because of TikTok. Netflix, Um, right? Wasn't it on Netflix? Yeah. Yeah. And it did very well on Netflix. I think it recently left. It went to Peacock. But Laura, Twilight burned out pretty quick. Yeah, it did. And I would attribute that to the stories not being as deep as Harry Potter, I think there was a lot of crossover at the time between Harry Potter fans and Twilight fans. I think Harry Potter fans were hungry for more Harry Potter. So they were hoping for another franchise that would scratch that same itch. And Twilight was just a different franchise. That's not to say that there was anything bad or wrong about it. But whereas Harry Potter was this multi-layered story that had romantic themes in it, Twilight was a romance first and foremost. So if you're looking for the level of literary analysis that you could get out of Harry Potter, you're not going to get that with Twilight. And that's okay. When I think of Twilight, Twilight is like a beach book. (laughs) Yeah. And I love beach (laughs) books. There's nothing wrong with them. I hate it when people... Um, use that term sort of dismissively. It's like everybody needs a good beach book. That's what I think of uh, Janet Ivanovich's books, for example. They're easy. They're easy yes. and they're fun. So is Twilight. There's nothing wrong with that. You're just not going to get as nitty gritty with it as you were with Harry Potter. It's a different kind yeah. of phenomenon. Yeah. There was that speculation as we headed towards the final book. And that final book was a wild ride. That was part of the problem, I think, with Twilight. But just looking at the list of reasons why Harry Potter was uh, was a success, the detailed story wasn't really there. Um, mysteries galore, eh, foreshadowing and stuff, maybe a little bit. It was all lesser. And like Laura, you were saying, yes, it was an easier and fun read. And I found that refreshing as well. Just you you were able to burn through those books pretty quick. Yep. Um. On the other hand, it did have that feverish fan base, and that may largely have been because of the movies. 
Go ahead, Micah. Yeah, well, that was going to be my question is when, when we're talking about why I didn't have the success, are we talking about from a book standpoint, from a movie standpoint, both? Both, both. Though, like I said, there has been a bit of a resurgence, I think, with the books, too. But you don't see that, like, organized online fandom effort like you did back when Twilight was in its heyday or Mm -hmm. Harry Potter. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I think, and you could probably apply this to most of the series that we're going to talk about, it's that I think the Harry Potter series probably set expectation levels too high. Mm Mm-hmm. We talk about Harry Potter as a once in a lifetime phenomenon, and I think that's what it's going to be. It's very rare you get something like that that comes along. And I think to hold Twilight or the Hunger Games or the Divergent series to that, it, it's not fair. It, it wasn't going to take off in the same way. Yeah. I agree. But I actually remember to that point, I remember being in a hotel with y'all. We were at some convention. And Andrew, I don't remember who it was, but somebody had gotten an advanced copy of, I think, the second Hunger Games book. I don't remember what it was called. Catching Catching Fire. Fire. Um, Yeah, Catching Fire. And they brought it to you. And I remember them gushing about it to you in the hallway and being like, this is the next Harry Potter. And (laughs) we were kind of like, is it? You know, not in a mean way, but it's just a different kind of story. Yeah. Uh, For me, just getting back to Twilight real quick, I appreciated it being different. I didn't necessarily want another Harry Potter because Harry Potter was like my everything. (laughs) So it's like looking for something else. I did want it to be different. And at least there it's different enough, right? Twilight is dealing with vampires and werewolves. And those are two things that Harry Potter doesn't really necessarily spend a lot of time on vampires in in particular i'm thinking too um it had a female protagonist which was interesting to me and unique and it was a romance like laura said so i think it had a lot going for it that inspired me and made me happy that it wasn't harry potter so it's interesting to contrast it and be like well it, it it couldn't you know measure up or it couldn't make the mark and that's why it's not wildly successful to this day the way harry potter is but at the same time, I think what these books served to do was, and 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 to that point, the publishers too, saying this is the next Harry Potter, it got us to read them. It kind of worked. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know what? This might be a more controversial opinion about Twilight, but I felt from the onset of Twilight's popularity that the people who were obsessed with Twilight were jealous that they had missed the boat on Harry Potter. I think they kind of may have gotten into Harry Potter late or completely missed it. And then they were like, well, here's Twilight. This looks like a hot new fandom. Let me jump into this and get that experience that Harry Potter fans had. Maybe, maybe maybe not. Maybe for some people. I know. I felt jealous I never got into the Aragon fandom. And so I angrily joined the (laughs) Harry Potter fandom. uh, Which flopped after, uh, what was it? One movie. Yeah. But Jeremy Irons. Aragon was a great series though but i feel like the author there was a christopher christopher polini yeah he tried to extend it out a little bit he he ended Mm -hmm. up i think doing one more book than what was originally intended yes which is fine if you had the material i remember reading the series but the other series that came to mind and and yeah i feel like in some ways i'm shamelessly plugging old muggle cast episodes but andrew i think you did this interview with freddie highmore uh for the spiderwick chronicles 
Oh, yeah. I remember. The now, and now famous Freddie Highmore. Become yeah. a pretty good actor. Yeah. The funny thing about the Spiderwick Chronicles was the movie studio behind that asked MuggleNet to create a Spiderwick Chronicles fan site. And they were hoping to create a Harry Potter level fandom out of the Spiderwick Chronicles with the help of MuggleNet. Wow. And I guess that's they paid us. So cool. Yeah, but but that's like when somebody hires somebody who cl- who claims to be an expert at making things go viral. You can't mm. just oh. you know put in the right hashtags to make something go viral. It has to happen organically. Same Don't thing- I know that? Yeah, right. Same thing with the Spiderwick Chronicles. Just because MuggleNet is creating a fan site for it doesn't mean it's going to become the next Harry Potter. No, but I think everyone's touching on like the ingredients, right? I think the owners of Spiderwick IP knew at that time that for that moment in time, fan sites were a big deal for fan growth and conversation. And so to, if, it, if a series didn't have a natural hub to create one was a good inkling. Like it was a good kind of path to go down. But there's so many ingredients to what made Harry Potter success that it is hard to like quantify or figure out what is going to then make your thing a success. Right. Well, Right. If listeners want to listen to Andrew talking to about a 10-year-old Freddie Highmore, episodes 129 oh my gosh. and 131. He was I 10? I don't know. I, I, he, he was pretty young, right? Yeah. <laughs> I actually remember going to see the Spiderwick Chronicles with you, Andrew. <laughs> oh, didn't we get invited to a screening maybe? Mm-hmm. Again, the studio? Mm-hmm. No? No. Oh. We went. Oh. We were visiting friends. Oh, and we went okay. to... Just a regular movie theater. So where was y'all's Spiderwick podcast then? <laughs> they didn't pay us enough to do that. No. <laughs> I feel like they invited us to the premiere or something because they wanted MuggleNet to give it attention. You know, yeah. they wanted to get the Harry Potter audience. Mm-hmm. We went mm-hmm. to some random theater in Southern Maryland, which I doubt was the premiere. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Okay, so The Hunger Games, we've touched on it a little bit. The reason I don't think this one lasted was because it's just depressing. (laughs) It really is sad. Like, yeah, there's a good love story there. I got really into The Hunger Games. I got swept up in it. The movies were awesome. Marketing-wise, they did an incredible job. Lionsgate and Summit did. But man, like after you read those books once and watch the movies once, it's like, do I really want to go through this again? I agree. I think I I Hunger Games what came the closest for me to rivaling some like thoughts and feelings about Harry Potter because I really like that world. I think something about the way it's written is is real solid. But yeah, I just wasn't ready for sort of the proto-fascist government demanding like lives be sacrificed to the citizenry like it came out i think five or six years too soon uh to really be completely uh reminiscent of modern times and for that i think maybe that's why it didn't take off looking at it now i'm like holy crap how was that allowed to be published um (sighs) but there are some very dark adult sort of themes but it's relevant because you know child soldiers that's been a thing for decades and like the gradual awareness of the horrors of the world this book just doesn't hold any punches the way harry potter i think does you know harry potter will have a fascist dictator trying to take over hogwarts but everybody hates her the teachers even will like you know trick her and pull pranks but it doesn't fully explore things the way that 
the Hunger Games series is forced to by literally having to kill 20, what is it, 24 of its, you know, 23 of its 24 tributes every year. Do you think that part of it, I mean, being a dystopian is not helpful, but do you think part of it is that there was really not much room for the universe of the Hunger Games to continue expanding? I mean, it's a dystopian version of the United States. It's broken down into districts. They have this battle royale with children every year. So you see the main, the core of the books is this literal shrinking circle. But then you mm. also see the world that this takes place in is very limited. So whereas with Harry Potter, there are sort of these boundless possibilities for what you might see from book to book and different Um, scenery you might learn from, you know, we get to go to St. Mungo's one time, we get to see what the wizarding world looks like outside of Hogwarts. And that allows for more creative analysis to happen. It allows for more imagination. Whereas I feel like with the Hunger Games, it's very limited. Yeah, the scope. Yeah. Once they're all dead, like yeah. you can't speculate about what happened to them after the events right. of the book. <laughs> That's very important. And I think of it in terms of people said like can't closing canon or open canon or closed mm-hmm. canon. It's like Rowling had, at least with Harry Potter, you know, we go to St. Mungo's, but it's only for a little bit of time. We never go back. There's still a lot of free thinking and, and speculation that can be going on there about that or the Department of Mysteries. Like we see these things once, but it's not like the books end with the world being destroyed. So those things are still out there in a way. Whereas, you know, the Hunger Games and the government toppled, we have hope, but we have no firm ideas about any systems that are going to be put in place after. Right? I just think it's not a welcoming world, kind of going off of what Laura was saying. Yeah. You you want to go mm-hmm. to the Wizarding World. You don't want to go yeah. into right. the Hunger Games world. <laughs> well, like, like there's, Pan Am, there's right? Been... That's what it's called? Yeah, Pan Am. Yeah, There's Pan been Am. talk of Hunger Games theme parks, and like there have been some attractions <laughs> overseas, but people, right, on the internet are just like, who the hell wants to go to Pan Am? Who wants to go to District 12? I mean, like, okay, I want some bread from PETA, but that's it. Unfortunately, it does exist in some countries. I don't know that people actually want to go there, though. If yeah, I could buy well, bread exactly. from Josh Hutcherson, I would probably pay about $25 <laughs> for a loaf of bread. I'll also add that there was a spin-off Hunger Games book called The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, but it followed Snow. Yeah. Um, when he was younger, around the 10th annual Hunger Games. And this book came out in 2020, maybe not the best year for the book to be published in terms of getting attention. It was published in May 2020, uh, two months after the pandemic started. But I'm looking at this on Amazon. It's got 43,000 reviews, four and a half star average. So clearly people liked it. But nobody was talking about this book when it came out. If, imagine a Harry Potter prequel coming out. People would be talking about it. Here's the problem. Even if they were talking about this book, I don't know that I would have seen it. The internet is a much bigger place than it was back in 2003. I'm not on Reddit either and never have been. I, I feel like there's... The discourse for these types of books is now going to be so many other different places, whereas in 2002, 2003 through 2007, everyone's attention was on the fan sites or everyone's attention was on 
chat rooms or the very few social media networks that we had back then. But now the internet is just broken up into so many pieces. There's a Tumblr thing of Harry. There's, you know, it's just like every different thing has its own hub. I agree with you. There's just nowhere you'd go for people to talk about this. It's almost fragmented. I think that's what you're you're, you're getting at, right? It's like if, if something becomes sort of a phenomenon in this day and age, where are you going, right? Websites are kind of a thing of the past. Then you have social media, but what platform do you go to? That, that, right. So many. It's a good point. And how are fans going to communicate in, in you know, one place? Like, I think that was another benefit. We were talking about the rise of the internet earlier, but social media wasn't really a thing. And if it was, it wasn't that big back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So finally, Divergent, we've mentioned it a couple times, also dystopian. It did pretty well, though. Um, the problem is the fourth book, there's a major twist. And I don't know if I should spoil it or not, even though it's been out for quite a few years. But it is a major, major twist. And a lot of readers were very upset with it. And when this kind of twist happens, you don't really want to think about the series anymore because somebody really important is gone. And again, like you don't want to spend too much time thinking about this dystopian world, especially if you might feel like you're currently living in a dystopian world. Right. <laughs> it's not escapism. That's a word right, I don't think right. I'm surprised to find we didn't utter that yet on this show, unless somebody did. I apologize. But escapism, that's huge. Yeah. further down for, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so, sorry to usurp. No, no, no. It's totally below. fine. Yeah. I, I honestly- can now reference it. I honestly feel like the closest thing we have to the Harry Potter phenomenon currently is the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's not the same kind of hype and it's not the same kind of fan base, but it's wide reaching. It's global. There is a feverish fan base and it's something that does touch a lot of people, even if you are more of a casual fan. I'm definitely more of a casual fan myself, but you better bet I've seen all those movies. I'm watching all the shows on Disney Plus, and it's gotten me into reading some of the comics because I'm interested to know more about the source material that they're drawing from. But and there's a lot to speculate over. Yeah, there's a ton to speculate over. Exactly. And there are also there's a multiverse, right? So there's tons of different possibilities um, outside of sort of like the standard like Marvel 616 universe, which is what you'll hear a lot of folks talk about. But I think that's the closest thing we've got right now. Is there anything that you can think of? Well, I would say Star Wars. Yeah. And maybe we could move there now. But yeah, other than that, no, not really. I would love another book series, and we're going to get into this too in yeah. a moment, but mm-hmm. I would love another Harry Potter level book series, Same. just something entirely new. You know, it would be very specific refreshing. Bo- specifically books, something that hasn't been adapted to screen. At least starting as books. Yeah. 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 Same kind of rise as Harry Potter, same trajectory. Mm-hmm. Totally. And I feel like both of them, we'll get we'll get into it when we're talking about it, but I feel like they both normalize nerds. Hmm. It's interesting you say that. I would say it's cool- to be a nerd now, whereas it wasn't 10, 15, 20 years ago. But I think Star Wars did that at that particular time when the first set of movies were coming out. People felt like it was okay to be a nerd. And Eric, obviously, yeah. you're kind of the... I, I look to you as the Star Wars expert, but I, I do feel oh. like 
But Eric Wait, wasn't. We, al- none of us were alive when those first yeah, movies came out. That's we got to bring back Mikey B on the show. Too. He wasn't alive. He's <laughs> he, no, but he's a bigger Star Wars nerd than me and yeah. Resistance Radio podcast. But uh, well, thank you. No, what I wanted to speak to about that though is that the crossover appeal that Star Wars borrowed from so many other um, film styles, old Japanese, you know, ninja films to. Uh, there's just a ton of references that go way over my head, but it is stuff that was the visual language that George Lucas used was evolved and appropriated from earlier cinema, from earlier storytelling. And and Harry Potter is no different. Um, you know, Harry Potter really in its story built off of lore uh, for the various Everything from you know creatures is the obvious thing, but also potions. What these magical properties of things like mandrake root have been said to represent for centuries, and so it was very smartly built up of I want to say recycled bits that had been used previously or established. It's a question whether it's it's being reused or you know made new as a result of the combination and i think that that's what good storytelling does i don't think we're going to see something wholly new uh but i think we're going to see the right combination of things at some point that really scratches that itch for us laura you had a really good point about why harry potter has lasted after all this time and maybe we can use this to talk about star wars a little more yeah Um, I think a big part of it is because there is such a strong sense of identity that's tied to these stories. People, even casual Harry Potter fans, know what Hogwarts house they're in. We talk about this all the time. We even talk, I mean, we talked in an Instagram live the other day about how I'm a Ravenclaw, but I have Slytherin tendencies. It just says a whole lot about who you are as a person to be able to say, I'm a Ravenclaw and have so much about your personality captured in just that statement. There's also the subject matter that you're interested in, but even more important are the Patronuses. We have to remember there was a time where you could go take a Patronus quiz. I don't know if it's still up or not. And you could find out what your Patronus was. Mine's an Irish wolfhound. I feel like that says a lot about me. Um, But people do like to talk about their fandom IDs. And that's just something that transcends time generations copyright muggle cast yep <laughs> it's a shorthand it's a code mm-hmm. it's jargon it's but it's but it's ours and that that comes from these again worldly concepts such as spirit animal although that's problematic these worldly concepts such as uh the, the even the house sorting goes back to the four fates uh and the four types of personalities that the greeks speculated there were um you know there's centuries of research on this type of stuff that gets broken down into something that's as popular as Harry Potter. And that's how we get these combos that we have. That's how you get somebody saying, you know, hey, I'm a Hufflepuff. It, yeah. It's really exciting. Actually, Meg is, she hit the nail right on the head in our Discord. Uh, she said, it's the literary version of your Zodiac sign. Mm. <laughs> 100%. But it's yeah. cooler. I mean, I know a lot of people are big into horoscopes and Zodiacs, but I feel like many, many, many more people are into their Hogwarts houses. It's more modern, (laughs) at least. And often more modern can be more cool. It's in style. It's in style. But Zodiac signs are as well. So Star Wars, speaking of identity, I think people have a very, very big sense of identity within the Star Wars 
fandom as well and these worlds, these planets. And actually, Eric, I'm glad you included a link to these to this group. There's the 501st Legion, and it's also a charity. These are people who dress up as stormtroopers, right? Can you tell us about the 501st Legion? Yeah, it's stormtroopers and actually an assortment of other characters if you're costumed from Star Wars. And it's become kind of like, I mean, it's a league. And it's a cool way to get in with a group that's doing good. There's like the social activism aspect of it. There's also like visiting kids in hospitals or actually when Weird Al Yankovic, soon to be played by Daniel Radcliffe, goes on tour. He gets members of the 501st to back him up on stage when he sings about Yoda. Um, (laughs) It's awesome stuff. But also they give you tips and tricks and you're everybody who's a member of the 501st the costume is screen accurate. So you're Mm. dealing with artisans. You're dealing with really creative types, people who are super passionate about something that they saw in a movie or a TV series now uh, that they can then recreate, which as a cosplayer, I greatly and deeply respect the level of like organization and the level of creativity that goes into this to then also expand it out and make the community a better place. It's everything you would want out of, I think, being a nerd today, being a fan today. Yeah. And I think now, even though stormtroopers, for example, are um, villains and get killed very easily (laughs) in Star Wars all the time, I think they do. I think these people who dress up as as stormtroopers feel like this is their deep connection to the world. Like they really feel like they're becoming a part of the world when they put on these costumes. And of course, it goes back to the fandom aspect, too. Like all these other people are also very into Star Wars to the point that they have the full stormtrooper suit and you make friends that way. It's really cool. Yeah. There's a really cool thing about being allowed to be anonymous when you're behind the mask. I mean, even when I was like wearing my Gryffindor robes, I wasn't trying to dress as Harry. I was just myself as what I thought was a Gryffindor. And it's the being able to be yourself, like the costume expresses you. It doesn't control you. And it was really interesting. I I was going to bring up one thing, Eric, that you mentioned earlier that both of these series have in common, and that's the escapism aspect of it. So escapism being this tendency to seek distraction and relief from unpleasant realities, especially by entertainment or engaging in fantasy. And these are two huge fantasy worlds. And I think the ability, we hear it from listeners all the time, to escape into the wizarding world is something that you know it means a lot to them. And I really like this other point that you have here, Micah, about the fact that the creators are still living, both yeah. with Star Wars and Harry Potter. I, you know, I know we try and steer clear a little bit of talking about the author, but I think the fact that she is still around, as is George Lucas, is is big. And you know, the fact that you still have them to be able to give you information about these characters, about this world that they themselves created, is something that you know you don't have a chance to do with you know a Tolkien or you know some of the other big time authors that have created series you know decades and decades and decades ago so and and I think the fact that we were living through the rise of the Harry Potter series with the author is is also something that's very very unique that was definitely I think one of yeah. those key ingredients again is the relationship that the fans had with the creator. Yeah, I mean, she now, was George... actively involved yeah. during all of those years, so that's huge. 
George Lucas did sell Star Wars to Disney and Lucasfilm, right. so he's not really actively, creatively involved anymore. But I will add to Micah's point that Disney very much wants to create a lot more Star Wars, and I think that adds to the hype, the active fandom around Star Wars, because it feels like you're always on the cusp of something else. I mean, there's two Star Wars TV, live action Star Wars TV shows that have come out on Disney Plus, and there are more to come. Um, and then with Harry Potter, this is a franchise that, you know, we feel like a TV show, uh, a scripted TV show will be coming at some point. It's just a matter of them, Warner Brothers, trying to figure out a good story. And then mm-hmm. we will, I think, we're all in agreement at some point, see the world open up to other creators like disney has done with star wars yeah Yeah, and there's also this idea of this guiding hand right so kevin feige does it with mcu um john favreau and i think it's dave filoni do it with uh star wars for the most part there are there's a, a handful of creative execs that are kind of being that guiding force that are making sure that consistency and quality of product are still being met and what the storytelling demands are, are generally being followed. And that allows a lot of creators to work in the same space and a lot of variables. As long as there's a team of people, I think we're learning how to do that multi-creator storytelling pretty well at this point. Um, I'd be interested to see if the next Harry Potter is something like that, where it isn't one person at all that's doing it. Definitely. And I think... The other thing that is important about both of these series, and we kind of light touched on it earlier, is that they do transcend generations. Uh, Harry Potter is a story that really anybody can read and connect with. The same can be said for for Star Wars. I think, in particular, you know, I'm I'm going back to when they re-released episodes four, five, and six in theaters in the '90s, and this was prior to episodes one, two, and three coming out. And it gave a whole new generation the opportunity to go see the films. And then of course, now we have episodes seven, eight, nine, and think what you will of, you know, any of the other episodes that aren't the original four five and six, but, you know, it gives that next generation, that next generation, the chance to become immersed into the world. All right, so we're going to discuss if we think we'll see another Harry Potter level success in our lifetimes. And then we asked our patrons, what books or series do you believe live up to the Harry Potter hype? Because maybe there's something out there right now that people are missing out on. Okay, so big question. Place your bets now. Will we see another Harry Potter level success in our lifetimes? I'm talking the fandom. The fan sites, the podcast, the media hype, the detailed story, the excitement, the passion, all of it. Will we see it in our lifetimes? And it has to be a book first, right? (sighs) This is a big decision to make. Plenty of new TV series are huge and popular. Oh, that's, that's, yeah, but not even them have reached Harry Potter status. And I think when you think about Harry Potter status, you're thinking about how it broke through. It had this huge success in both books and film format so like okay if there's going to be another harry potter it's got to hit two of those verticals like books tv or movies or all three you know okay what's something that's going to hit multiple verticals with wild success i like that explanation i like that a lot i hope so (laughs) you mean in our lifetime that was the question yeah 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 
But what do we think the impact would be on us? Like that, that's my question is, I hope that for sort of the generations that have come after us, that there's something similar to it. But I think that part of the magic was the fact that it was truly this perfect storm of people and things coming together at just the right time. I don't know that I'd want another Harry Potter. I, I think we have ours and it was this really awesome, it still is this awesome experience and it continues to evolve, right? Like the fact that we're still doing this podcast in 2022 and the people are listening to us says that. I I don't like, to me, what what is what's in it for us if there's something new? Like, are we hoping for <laughs> another podcast? Pleasure, series? entertainment, happiness, yeah, yeah. joy, maybe another podcast for us? <laughs> I mean, but Micah, you still read books and of course. you love television and movies and stuff. So yeah. something like that, but bigger. Like, why wouldn't you want that? Yeah, but I, I guess I just wouldn't call it another Harry Potter. I don't. Yeah. Like I could say Game of Thrones, but I don't, I still don't well, think. I don't, no, to answer your question, I don't think those are coming out in our lifetime. The books, no. the last two books. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think they're coming out ever. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I will. I hear what Mike is saying. And I guess when I think about, you know, the next Harry Potter, it's going to look different, right? Like we sit here and we talk about the fan sites and the podcasts. That's not how people consume content anymore the way they used to. Podcasts have definitely seen a golden era, but fan sites, those are a thing of the past. So who knows in another 10, 20, 30 years when the next big phenomenon comes along, how people are going to consume it. But I think it will happen. And it may not be like, it may not be for us. And that's okay. But I still hope that something comes along because I think every generation deserves to have that kind of phenomenon. I, I think, I mean, Harry Potter impacted all of our lives in so many positive ways. I mean, we wouldn't know each other if it weren't for Harry Potter. The closest people I know in my life are because of Harry Potter. Some of the best work that I've done is because of Harry Potter. And it's my fervent hope that every generation would get something like that. Well, that's, that's kind of another aspect that I think is really important is the opportunities that we're afforded to us because of Harry Potter and the idea that a future generation, you know, who are kids who are the age we were when we were consuming Harry Potter would also get to be that things podcasters or that things, you know, kind of shepherds and their, their biggest fans. Totally. Um, I love that idea. I think it's really interesting in my most optimistic future. I think that there would be a piece of media, maybe it's a book, by a single creator that is more every bit as inclusive as we demand stories to be now. And the creator, if it's one person, has to be every bit as non-problematic as we demand of creators to be now. And I don't know, because that seems like a real tall order. (laughs) But if it happens, I would want it to be that. And I would want it to be one creator that ticks all the boxes and gets it right just to show that it can be done. And I wonder if that would even be popular. Oh my God. Here's the other thing is like everybody bought into Harry Potter. The movie rights were optioned very early. People could tell it was going to be a success. Now I think the other component is 
you need the approval. You need the very obvious person bankrolling something that's never been quite that way before to make it the success that it is. And right now, studios and everything are kind of going back to what's already been. They're not trying new things. And that kills creativity or cuts off the ankles of anything that could be getting started that could be really good for people. Mm. Well, I'll give a hot take. I think wanting another Harry Potter is greedy. Oh, it's not greedy. It's called optimism, Micah. I'm optimistic that another Harry Potter will. Yes, it is. I, I want it. I want it. I need it. And not just for myself, for everybody, like Laura was saying. But I, Eric, I liked your point, too, that studios are, you know, it's it's reboot central these days. They're they're less interested in taking a risk on something entirely new. That said, they do try to option some books and stuff because they hope to. There's another Harry Potter someday. I was just thinking like Percy Jackson, like Percy Jackson's been very successful. Author Rick Riordan hasn't gotten himself in trouble. Seems like a really good guy. Um, Disney Plus just announced a few days ago and we celebrated this on the MuggleCast Twitter account. Disney Plus is adapting Percy Jackson into a TV series. Maybe that will make Percy Jackson blow up and then people will go back to the books and then it's just going to be this beautiful cycle of success. That's helpful. I like those movies, though. I'm sad that they stopped them. (laughs) Uh, Rick Riordan hated the movies. No joke. And he was like very open about it. What does he know? Whoa. <laughs> so much edginess out of Micah tonight. I'm I'm so shocked about, you know, the author not liking the movie, considering that Chris Columbus directed The Lightning Thief. I'm really sad to hear that our boy Chris let somebody down with the <laughs> adaptation, because I think his Harry Potter is to this day the standard. The gold standard. And now Rick Riordan is deeply involved in the television adaptation. So hopefully he won't hate his work on the TV series. (laughs) So I thought we should ask our patrons. Eric mentioned that um, he doesn't read a lot, at least maybe not fantasy series or series. And I I got him in on the same way. I think we all don't read as much as we might want to. It's a New Year's resolution from time to time. So I thought let's ask our brilliant listeners... Okay, and Micah, ask him to. Laura reads. Well, actually, you're going to hate this question then. I don't want your answer to this question, Micah. It's just going to be nothing. We asked our patrons, what books or series do you believe live up to the Harry Potter hype? The first one comes from Laura M. Love Laura M. She's great. Um, She says, I would definitely say Keeper of the Lost Cities by Shannon Messenger. It's such an expansive world and also a middle grade series that easily crossed the line between middle grade and adult. We are waiting for the ninth book and we'll be getting one more. We also did get a behind the scenes look like we craved for Harry Potter back in the day. And the author is just a delight and a romance triangle that could rival Ron and Hermione and Hermione and Harry. Nice. Okay. Okay. I have room in my heart for another love triangle. (laughs) This next suggestion comes from Tom. In modern literature, there is no series which even comes close. The most obvious comparison is Lord of the Rings. Both of the worlds in each series are fleshed out and feel lived in, meaning things are complex and not shiny and simple. 
Each random person you encounter seems to have their own backstory and personality, which is deep enough to be explored on its own. The scope of both series is also massive, tackling good and evil as subjects and characters in and of themselves. Most stories use characters and situations to set up moral dilemmas. However, these epic stories take on the essence of morality itself in their epic confrontations of good and evil. This is a boring answer, but probably the only right one. Okay, Tom, (laughs) I will take your recommendation to read Lord of the Rings and I will consider it. I will not say it's the only right one, but I think it's a very good one. I I like your reasoning here. Yeah, I felt like um, Harry Potter was what really prepared me to read Lord of the Rings. Okay, Mm -hmm. I didn't read Lord of the Rings until sort of like, I don't know, I think it was probably after order of the phoenix came out and i was looking for something to sink my teeth into so yeah i think harry potter if you haven't read lord of the rings harry potter is a great jumping off point to consume those books yeah i'd only read the hobbit prior to harry potter i love the hobbit this next one is from andrew but not me who says darren shan's cirque du freak books However, the movie was not pleasing. I think David Heyman was planning on doing a movie at the same time as the Harry Potter films, but unfortunately, that fell through. Okay. Stacy said, I was late to the party, but the Shadow and Bone series and spinoffs are very good. I have almost an entire shelf devoted to books by Tamora Pierce that I've read and reread many times. And the Inheritance series by Christopher Pellini is always near the top of my list. I think they got tossed aside because the movie adaptation was so catastrophically terrible that it wouldn't make anyone want to read the books, but all in the realm of fairly realistic seeming fantasy with lots of characters who are very well developed. Yeah, I remember us talking about the Inheritance series from time to time, and we brought it up earlier in today's episode, but we were talking about it from time to time on MuggleCast, I think, because it was pretty hot. The books were, at least. I'm a Mm -hmm. big fan of Ben Barnes. I loved him in Westworld, but first I loved him as Prince Caspian in the Narnia movies. I didn't mention this, but Shadow and Bones is on Netflix, and I think it's very popular, just like the books are. It's a good series. Yeah? Okay. I've watched it. Michael watches everything on Netflix. Everything. <laughs> I, just, I keep it on loop. Uh, everything. But you know what? Like, I, People really didn't like the Aragon adaptation. But I will say, I thought Jeremy Irons was awesome in that film. He's awesome in Absolutely. most things. Yeah. But Jeremy Irons is great. Outside of that, you can throw the rest of it away. But he's right. always just so good. <laughs> Credit to Christopher Pellini, he was very engaged with the fans, I remember. And one of our friends, his name was Mike, um, he was sort of involved with MuggleNet, I believe. He started a Inheritance fan site, and Christopher Pellini was working sure very Tugel, closely right? with him. Shertugal, sure yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's it. I wonder well, if it's still up. You know, I'd hate to overlook that, too. There are creators that we know that are friends that are trying to do, you know, podcasts and things for these other series in particular the shadow and bone series uh is uh our friend juliana and jeff do into the fold it's a grishaverse podcast and they are up and coming with their podcast and it's about the shadow and bone books i'd be remiss if we didn't kind of support you know our friends that are making content in those worlds in those literary worlds even if we're not good point 
This next one comes from Caitlin, who says, for me, it's the A Court of Thorns and Roses series by Sarah J. Moss. It is gaining in popularity for sure, and I'm glad it is because it made me want to read it. It's written for adults and is a fantasy series based off of Beauty and the Beast. The books are quite long, and like Harry Potter, I read them each within a few days. I also like that it was written by a woman. I like how the characters are developed throughout the series and the plots are not overtly complex. It's mostly about the relationships between the characters, which is what Harry Potter was to me. I mostly liked finding a fantasy series aimed at adults that I enjoy. I never really liked Lord of the Rings, so this was perfect for me. This is actually on my list um, because our friend Pamela over at Millennial Podcast is reading this right now, and she's been gushing about it. <laughs> so it is next on my list, and I'll uh, I'll report back, y'all. Sweet. This next one comes from Nathan, who says, I'm going to take this two ways. First, Lord of the Rings and His Dark Materials, as they're both complex and have allegories and are similar to the later half of the Harry Potter series. Lyra, like Harry, has a destiny unknown to her, and the specters are similar to Dementors. The His Dark Materials series on HBO Max is amazing and shows how Potter could do it. Written by Cursed Child writer Jack Thorne, I just finished my annual reread and rewatch. Second, the Kingdom Keepers series by Ridley Pearson and the Charlie Bone series by Jenny Nimmo. Kingdom Keepers is set in Disney World and has a Toy Story theme. Villains come alive after the park closes. Charlie Bone has special powers. He can hear pictures and attends boarding school. Both series have the whimsical feeling of Sorcerer's Stone. Ooh, wow. Those are nice. good recommendations. Yeah, definitely. I mean, of course, plus one million to Lord of the Rings. Um, but His Dark Materials <laughs> is another amazing series. And the show on HBO Max is really, really good. So if you haven't checked that out, it's, it's awesome. It's funny because His Dark Materials was... Uh, the book series was coming out around the same time as the Harry Potter books. And it was definitely mm. popular. There was uh, a movie they made in like 2003 that was pretty bad. Um, it had Nicole Kidman in it. And um, shoot. And Daniel Craig. Daniel Craig. That's right. I was like James Bond. Um, <laughs> it was not a good movie. So getting a really good HBO Max series has been so great as a His Dark Materials fan. One other one that just comes to mind quickly, I know we're wrapping up, is Lock and Key on Netflix. I'm not sure if folks have seen that, but it's very much kind of the magical, whimsical show that some of the other or series that some of the other you know people are referencing that's just kind of fun to enter that world it's basically different keys do different things when they're inserted into the back of people's necks we also have to mention the magicians the television series oh, uh, was right. based on the book series the tv series i've heard very good things about same things for the book people have called this an adult harry potter i've always wanted to read and or watch this but i just never got around to it the magicians has ended unfortunately but it ran for five seasons yeah. love grossman right it's on netflix yes. okay mm. michael loves netflix it's possible <laughs> there's already the next harry potter we just haven't been sat down and forced to watch it yeah. i will say did you say you've read those books because i have read those books they're they're pretty good i haven't okay 
good to know. Maybe I'll... I recommend reading the books first. Okay. Yeah, Mike is a reader. Yeah, and a big Netflixer. All right. Well, there's our discussion. I think I feel like we just scratched the surface, but that was a yeah. good start at least. If yeah. you have any feedback about today's discussion, you can contact us by writing or sending a voice message to mugglecast at gmail.com. For the latter, just record a message using the voice memo app on your phone. You can also use the contact form on mugglecast.com, or you can leave a voicemail on our phone. The number is one nine two oh three muggle. That's one nine two oh three six eight four four five three. On next week's episode, with Valentine's Day right around the corner, we are going to discuss the power of love, baby, in the Harry Potter series. And also the vulnerability of male characters. That's an important topic that's really not touched on much anywhere in the world, (laughs) as much as it should be. It's time for Quizage. Well, we asked and you delivered, listeners. I think we have to incentivize this stuff from now on. Last week's question was, what are the names of Severus Snape's parents? And it was for a prize. Over 103 people Wow, good. Yeah. We're not going to name them all. That's going to break the bank. Oh, we're not giving away to everybody. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not. We're only giving away five copies of Irvin's book, who is on last week's episode. And the winners randomly chosen from the assortment who got the correct answers. Did I say Eileen Prince and Tobias Snape, by the way? Um, The correct answers were submitted by these winners. Must be a Weasley 92, Mundy Sun, Levy Osa, Pata, and the Ravenclaw Knocker. We have your email. We're going to be emailing you. Give us your address. We'll send you a book. Excellent. I'm yeah. glad so many people were interested in receiving a copy of Irvin's book, Dumbledore, The Life and Lies. Love it. And, uh, you know, I was feeling very uh, guilty that I did not ever read the Divergent series, given how much time we spent to talking about Hunger Games and all that. So next week's Quizage question is a Divergent question. In the Divergent book series, Beatrice Pryor finds that she is Divergent and, in fact, has equal aptitude for three of the five factions. Which faction does she choose to join? And for bonus credit, but not a book, name the three options available to Triss. Submit your answer to us over on the MuggleCast website, mugglecast.com slash quizich, or go to mugglecast.com and click on quizich in the uh, menu. I hope Veronica Roth answers the question. (laughs) I hope she still listens. (laughs) Me too, me too couple reminders before we wrap up. Make sure you are following MuggleCast for free in your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. And leave us a review if they allow you to, especially those of you over in Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We would really appreciate a quick review. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media. Our username is MuggleCast on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok. Lots of fun stuff happening across all channels, so do follow on whichever you use. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.